0: Blimey.
1: Ooh, this is one out of a jam jar you got here. The House of Mystery contains demons, angels, elementals, magicians, wizards, apparitions, adult language, and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not enter the House of Mystery.
0: All right, then. On with the show. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to the House of Mystery. The John Constantine and Friends Podcast. I am Michael, your host and curator. I welcome you to the House of Mystery. Watch your step. We don't want you tripping on the dead bodies. And the ground's also slippery from all the blood. Because the demon bisexual butler, my co-host, has not been doing his duties. Hello. I'm sorry. I've been busy, actually, you know, unfortunately watching the ghost (laughs) and getting preoccupied with that. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) I didn't know what to say but Yeah, yeah You always tell when I have nothing to say Because like, like, yeah, you're yeah. just like speeches. It goes,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised I'm not surprised
0: Change your pants Change your pants? What does that mean? Oh, it's going to be one of those shows tonight Alright, so today we have a fun discussion To get through that we've been planning that's been in the works for quite some time. I had put the dead man trade paperback dark mansion of forbidden love on our list two years ago. And for whatever reason we have continually just put it to the side and then covered other things. And I've been wanting to cover this for a long time because I read this when it first came out, I want to say in 2016, And I like it. I love it. I own a copy of it. And I've been wanting to talk about it since the conception of this show. But just for whatever reason, we get preoccupied. We get involved with doing other things. And finally, I was like, okay, David, before the end of the year, we are finally going to do this. We're finally going to cover it. And I am living up to my... I'm a man of my word. You're a man of my word. I'm a man of my word. So in this episode, we are turning our attention to another member of the justice league dark and a long time superhero who is so underrated and underutilized. And of course I'm talking about dead man. David it's a travesty. It is how we have. And we talk about this a lot when it comes to all of our characters and I'm trying to be objective and I don't want people to like, listen to the show and say, well, of course you think these characters are underrated and underutilized because they're all the characters that you love. But The ones that we always talk about, Constantine, Phantom Stranger, and Deadman, the three of them, especially Phantom Stranger and Deadman, are so underrated and underutilized.
1: I was about to say also underutilized because like, I get it. I mean, I've said it multiple times in throughout our show and covering the darker side of DC. Yeah. A lot of writers get intimidated to write a story about those characters because they're so powerful when you think about, or they just don't know how to translate their powers into something interesting. Right. And Phantom stranger is one of those ones that I'm like going, he should have a lot of, you know, writers knocking on his door and they want to write stories about him, but I get it. He's omnipresent. He is, he's the type of figure that basically comes in. And if he shows up, that's the end game. No one can top him. Not even Superman. Yeah. Dead man is like the same way because of his power set. He's able to jump into people's bodies and take them over and use them regardless if they want to or not. And also he gains access to whatever powers they have. So if say, for example, he jumps into the body of Superman. Well, well, He can make Superman. He, he, that means he has the strength of Superman. That means he can do anything. And a lot of people feel that that's very overpowered. And how do you write a story around that? Well, Sarah Vaughn seemed to be able to do it, dude. I was so happy to see Sarah Vaughn take this character because she is a comic book writer that I think doesn't get enough acclaim because she's more or less regulated to, Let's just say certain comics that do not get mainstream attention. Um, a lot of her comics tend to be for young adults. You have Gem. She writes, she writes a Barbie series and stuff like that. And she's That's so strange, though. And then she also, on the independent side, she focuses more on um, women-related titles. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you look at her library, she gets the shot at dead man. And I I have to say, I'm glad they got her because she proved that she can be one of those writers that can do anything.
0: Interestingly, she doesn't throw away her style either because she, you know, you say that she tends to write titles designed for women. Now I wouldn't say dead man, dark mansion of forbidden love is a title for women, but it is a Gothic horror. It's a Gothic love story. So, in that sense, she's definitely relying on her comfort zone. Which is fine, because it serves her well for mm-hmm. this particular title. Now, as I said, we are going to be dissecting and breaking down the 2016 title, Dead Man, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love. Now, this was a limited series that ran from 2016 to 2017, and is currently available as a trade paperback. The entire story is written as a gothic horror or perhaps you could possibly describe it as more of a gothic romance which are basically similar gothic romance is a subgenre of gothic horror and gothic horror is a subgenre of horror uh, yeah <laughs> uh, the entire thing is written through that lens it is the aesthetic the color palette the tone the themes they're everything you would expect from a gothic romance as well as a gothic horror themed story. Uh, either way, however, you want to look at this, the writers took a relatively small concept and fleshed out an interesting tale of love, betrayal, and murder. Yeah. David, give me your initial thoughts without getting into spoiler areas, because I really want to advocate that people seek this out and read it if they have not.
1: Oh no, absolutely. I I agree with you there. This is one of those titles that me and you have covered where we come across a title that we don't want to give any spoilers because just like we said, we want our audience to go and get this title and read it. And Give the writer, the writer, and the artist the praise they deserve, yep. because that's how that's how
0: we can support them. You go out and fight in the title. This and, is one of those. And also, we want Deadman Man to track. We want him to trend because if we keep getting sales that are Dead Man titles, maybe finally DC will get their head out of their ass and say, "Oh, hey, look at um, we've been sitting on a gold mine this whole time." Oh yeah, and I honestly
1: think a story like this can easily translate into other media, meaning I can easily see this title being transferred into a TV show.
0: Oh, an HBO max event
1: series. series. Can you imagine that? Oh yeah. And especially when you read this title, I think it's worthy of that. I think the story that uh, Sarah put together is, is very, very well done because I appreciate when people try to say, I want to do a gothic storytelling, you know, say like Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. when he does something like that. And it's, it is some of the best storytelling ever that you can ever see. However, 80% of the time, hell, 90% of the time, people don't get gothic storytelling because they just... Whittle it down into something so simplistic as it's a love story. Work. Flanagan.
0: I would consider some of Flanagan's work. Uh, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. The yeah. haunting. The haunting. The haunting series he did for yeah. Netflix. That definitely leans into the gothic.
1: Oh, easily. Horror stories. Easily. But if you think about it, they're like the outliers. Because so many, there's been so many attempts to try to do a gothic storytelling. And people just don't understand the genre completely. Yeah. And don't get. Don't get the story tones and the elements that are
0: needed, what needs to be involved, the elements. We always talk about genre conventions. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. You have to understand what belongs in a Gothic story, a Gothic horror story.
1: And you know what I appreciate most is like Sarah Vaughn's story. She veers away from the trope of basically let's just put them in Victorian times. Yeah. You notice that this is set in present day. And you, you could you could say that basically you couldn't tell it was set in present day until they actually do a lot of like their their stories where they show the show the characters around
0: and, chapter three. I want to say is when you realize, okay, you're in contemporary times. In it's contemporary when the lead times. character goes into town. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's like I'm like going, thank you. Because it's one of those tropes that I think gets over overused by writers who think, I'm going to write a gothic storytelling. So I'm just going to put this in the Victorian times, and voila, it's a gothic storytelling.
0: Yeah, well, traditional setting of gothic horror, yes, was, I want to say, it was the Victorian era. That's where it originated. But it's it's long surpassed that location. Now it's just about making sure you're using the right conventions uh you utilize in the iconography that's become synonymous with the gothic horror if you know those things uh, then you can probably do yourself um a favor that's not what i was going to say you then you'll probably put together a strong gothic horror piece that's not anchored to the victorian era yes. per se. Yeah, exactly. You just got to understand the property you're working in, or the the genre you're working. The in. Genre you. And not everyone understands that. Like, they, well, you can. It's like when people say something's a western. Like, oh, this is totally a western. I'm like, why? Because it's an 1850. Like that's <laughs> exactly. Just because it's an 1850 doesn't mean it's a western. Yeah. Like, is it taking place in that time period? Sure. But is it a western film? It's only a western film if you're utilizing the genre elements that go with it. And the same thing could be said about the gothic horror. And exactly. that takes us into our discussion because I will say that Sarah Vaughn just killed it on all levels, not just the writing, but just the, the ability to work within this genre so well and not fall into the pitfalls sometimes that happens when you are working in a genre. Many times you fall into those cliches. That people come to expect because, hey, you know, what? well, I got to have this because that's a part of a gothic horror. But she finds a way to utilize what you would expect in a gothic horror, but also invert it slightly to work for story purposes. Uh, There's intrigue. There's wonderment. There's a mystery. And of course, there's a murder at the heart of all that. And because of that, this is actually not just a well-written piece. It's fun, and it's immersive. It pulls you in because of Sarah Vaughan's ability to tell a story.
1: Yes, and that's the important part. With With gothic storytelling, the storytelling aspect is so key to me because you have to make it interesting. And one of the biggest things for me when I'm reading any gothic story is the mystery element you have to suck me in and basically make me constantly be wondering, where are you going? Where, what's going on? Okay. That, that just like what you said, that sense of wonderment and from page one to the very last issue, Sarah Vaughn had me hooked because I'm like going, she had a really great story being told. She had really great elements. And on top of that, she's able to use dead man properly. Dead man is actually like the one element that I think gets missed about dead man is the fact that he is at the end of the day, his powers isn't just jumping into people's bodies. It's the fact that he is smart. He is actually a thinker. So he thinks his way out of things.
0: Yeah. So just so that people have a better Handle on what truly gothic horror is. Here's a little synopsis from a horror website that I'll share on the website version of our podcast when the show goes live. So he writes, or she writes, on a hill, there's a house. In the attic, there's a ghost. On the moors, there's a wolf. In the woods, there are monsters. In the house, there's a lonely woman. Those lines right there literally (laughs) perfectly Perfectly. encapsulate the Gothic horror. Yeah. Then she goes on to say, pinning down what precisely makes a story Gothic horror is a tricky task. Is it the house to be certain? I have never seen a Gothic horror story that doesn't have a location as a primary character and often an antagonist. Yes. Is it the woman? It seems likely that there are one or two stories that fall under the genre that center on a non-female character. Is it a terrifying sense of foreboding? Well, now we are on to something. <laughs> so that's a nice little tone she sets that encapsulates the gothic horror. Because if you could capture a genre in just a few short sentences, I think she did the trick. Oh, absolutely. I think she did. I
1: think she did a masterful job.
0: And as the- you read through Dead Man, Dark Mansion and Forbidden Love, you'll see many of those aspects. So the official synopsis, Dead Man Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love is a hauntingly gothic comic packed full of suspense and atmosphere whilst the storyline is predictable and nothing original who wrote this who synopsis? Wrote the synopsis <laughs> I wouldn't say it's predictable
1: yeah, exactly I don't think it's predictable at all and
0: nothing original okay I think that's also in your interpretation because okay we're gonna get into I fuck that synopsis I'm not even gonna read it <laughs> But now I have to address this predictable and nothing original. When it comes down to simply the plot, the sequence of events, if you will, then yes, you can say there's nothing original. But what is being said, what makes a story truly appealing, has less to do with the plot itself. As we've said numerous times, Dave, on these shows, but it has more to do with what a story is saying. That's where originality can. Can blossom and bloom it 's within the unsaid at the core of this story in particular, and its central theme that more or less serves as a foundation is the notion of letting go yes that 's the the main primary theme of this story, and Vaughn interweaves this thematic aspect into every portion oh, of the narrative
1: and I was really surprised about that too is because i 'm like going how is she going to make everything tie together? And then as you're reading along, you begin to realize all of the aspects, all of the little threads and s- little side stories that she takes for each character. They all weave together. Yeah. They, the, the, and I'm like going by the end of it, I was like going, Holy crap. She even tied in uh, the character Bernice. Who's the ma- uh, the, the, the partner partner in crime of dead man in this issue. And I actually found a a more decent summary of the (laughs) thing. If you want actually, yeah, go for it. That's fine. Okay. This one says Boston brand is a dead man walking more than walking. Actually his uncanny ability enables him to float, fly and seize control of the bodies of the living. He's no mere ghost. He's something more powerful, more heroic. He is dead man. And he's about to meet Bernice. Living woman with powers of her own, Bernice's complicated life and loves have driven her to the haunted hills of a sprawling mansion known as Glencourt Manor. It's a place where the forces of darkness are known, known and unknown. They gather at the house where the person with Bernice, Bernice's powers to talk to the dead, could accomplish great or possibly evil, incredible things.
0: Yeah, that was a much better one. That's
1: a much better one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's bring it back just a bit to the whole letting go theme. So from this theme, which is the spine of this entire story, from this theme, we understand that the metaphors that are created, or I should say from this theme, we can understand the metaphors. That's a better way of saying that. We can understand the metaphors that are created, and through that, we then start to see the relevancy and the substance, yes. For example, the ghost that is haunting the mansion, Adelia, I believe is what her name was, is holding on to the past. Classic ghost thing, right? Yeah. And because of this, they're unable to see the truth that is right in front right of their right face. In front of their face. And as a result, they are trapped. This, of course, has greater meaning for the reader. Through the writer's use of, of as I was saying, of key iconographic elements of Gothic fiction, we are able to interpret meaning and narrative intent. This is where it is original, despite that terrible synopsis I started to read. There's also a secondary theme that is more closely aligned with loneliness. That's a big part. And this is where Dead Man comes in specifically. Exactly. Many of these themes are more or less about him. And that's the beautiful thing. Now, I love that Vertigo title that we covered last year with the Phantom Stranger. Yes. My biggest problem was that, even though I loved it, if I had to gripe about something, it seemed to be far less about him and more about the secondary character. And it, and it served that story's purpose. I mean, it worked just fine. Whereas this superficially, you can say, well, dead man is not really the main character. He may not be the main driving force, but literally everything's about him. Yes. It all can go right back to him. Now, of course, the the lead characters, Adelia, as well as um, Bernice. Yeah, you could say it's about them. It is. But this is a titled. This is titled dead man. Mm -hmm. And ultimately all of their actions and the, the motions they're going through and what's being said about them. That's the depressing thing about it is they're really saying something about dead man. They're saying something about Boston. Yes. Because
1: especially with the story of Adelia, without giving any way spoilers when you get to the, I think it's the second issue. One of my favorite parts is her discussion with Boston about the afterlife. And then, you begin to see that this is tied to Boston, too. His feelings are being tied to Adela's story right now, and that's why I thought was really really cool was like I kept wondering throughout the entire thing how is Sarah doing this? She's able to actually tie all her characters together nice and neat. Meanwhile, she's still able to actually give their own little story arcs. They
0: each have their own arc, yeah.
1: They have their own arcs, but they all share a very common thread. Yeah. And she's able to do this without it being too,
0: too messy. It's not messy, but that's the reason why, if you want to write something good, people of Earth, out there, find a theme. Find a theme. And use that theme To keep all of your characters connected. And you realize she tackled the
1: theme so differently from character to character. Yeah. That by the end of it, you realize what the whole story is about, but you see it from so many different
0: points of view. Yes, it's... Definitely from other people's perspectives. But during that, those last few pages, when all of it comes together and you realize it's just a fucking sad story for dead man. Yeah. I mean, you get the idea that he's lonely, that he's trapped against his will. He's forced to live within the in between worlds of the living and the dead. Yes. Not really knowing who or what he is anymore. So we get a story kind of steeped in existentialism as well. And do you realize that even the
1: villain, the quote unquote villain of the book is the same
0: crisis. It's a manifestation of being trapped, 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 not letting and go, not not being able to let
1: go. Yeah, and he's forever tied to this curse. Yeah, and it's like everyone is tied to not being able to
0: let go. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate villain right there. So not only is it a theme, but I would even say the the theme itself is also the antagonistical force. Mm -hmm. That's the pushback against our protagonist, which is an interesting way to do it because yeah, we do have a physical villain, a tangible villain, but that tangible villain is nothing more than the manifestation. Now I'm not giving away spoilers here. I'm just talking about metaphorically and metaphorically. And in terms of writing, I mean that villain is essentially just the manifestation of the Idea itself of letting go. So, bringing it back to the existentialism aspect just for a second, certainly Deadman has purpose. So, I don't want to say he is existential because Deadman does have a sense of purpose. He understands what he's supposed to do. He doesn't really know why. That's always been kind of like elusive. Certain stories have grounded it, those stories usually kind of suck. The best stories usually keep his ultimate purpose a little elusive. I know some of the new 52 brought greater context to his purpose, which I never was really about. Um, So there is a sense of existentialism as well, working with those other themes. And certainly dead man has purpose, but the story alludes to the fact that he's trapped in an endless cyclical existence in order to strengthen these themes. There are also additional thoughts pushed forward, such as remorse, regret, Fear of loss, holding on to pain, all of which help to underscore the primary theme of letting go. Because those are all products of not letting go. Remorse. If you live in a perpetual state of remorse and guilt, that is not letting go. Not letting go. Regret. Again, fixating on something in the past that you've done. Fear of loss. You got to let those fears go. You got to let it go. Holding on to pain. These are all elements that psychologically and mentally hold people back. I mean, a lot of problems with people's mental illness and anxiety, a lot of that has to do with individuals who are trapped in the past.
1: Which is hilarious because like, when you get to the very end, and again, I'm not going to give any spoilers because I love... All the elements that you're talking about, and then one particular one that happens in the end, mm-hmm. particularly with Adela, Adela, where you find out about her emotional state
0: mm-hmm. is
1: what is keeping her here. Yeah, and in order for her to move on, she has to let go. And that moment in the story is so cool because it's a it's a cool take on the concept of a vengeful ghost. Mm-hmm. And I'm like going. When I when you get to that, I'm like going, God damn, I would love to see this type of storytelling happen more often. Because this is how you do a unique storytelling.
0: It's all work. metaphor and allegory. Metaphor and allegory. Yeah. And it's, that's it's how, really smart. That's how you tackle a, a ghost story. Yeah. This is a perfect ghost story. Yeah. And the thing is, and you were, I believe you were mentioning this a few moments ago. The the best thing about all of this, because I threw out all those words You know, remorse, regret, fear of loss, holding on to pain, letting go. There may be people out there that say that's a lot to throw into a story. And it is, but it's all pretty seamless for the most part. And the reason why it works is because all those elements are sewn together. And then they're used to govern every single one of our characters. That's what every single one of our characters have in common. All of those elements, which ultimately David, it gives the narrative a unified cohesion. And that answers your question, Dave, when you said it's amazing, well, maybe not a question, but your statement, it, it it builds on your statement of, it's amazing that all of this can happen with all of these different characters. And that's the reason why you assign pretty much each of these characters, similar themes. And then before you know what the story can write itself, if you have a general idea of the direction you want to go. So there's some sad stuff in this book. There is, I mean, a lot of Gothic horror it tends to go that tends way. to be sad. Um, a lot of it has to do with loneliness as I have been talking about. Uh, there's this thought that we become lonely because we essentially trap ourselves because of our desire Or need to hold on to the past. Yes. uh, That we are the jailer of our own self-made prisons. This is also where the existential aspects come into play. And in doing so, they build on... And this is very important to me. Whenever you're dealing with a character like this. In doing all of this, they build on the mythos of dead man as well. The ghost in the book is used... Adelia is used... To parallel dead man's own experiences. And while he's assisting the ghost Adelia to learn to let go so she can move on from this plane of existence. He's unable to. He's unable to. And yes, you could say, well, he's the dead man. That's his job. He can't move on. That's the saddest part about it. When you really start focusing on what's being done and how they're building out the mythos of dead man the the most saddest part about this and the real powerful aspect that smacks you in the face when you realize it is you get the idea that the writer was saying that he too dead man is trapped because of something he's unable to let go. Yes, so that's the interesting part because I do not believe and I've read a lot of dead man. I do not believe they've ever used that idea to explain why he is trapped between the living and the dead and why he is the dead man. Yes, you have the idea of, who's that goddess? Um, not From the very first issue of Strange Adventures. Is it Krishna? Yes. I Krishna. Krishna. Like, yes, you have that. But going beyond that, and looking at things more, uh, more of a metaphysical sense, perhaps it wasn't just penance for his life. Yeah. Perhaps he could actually retire the dead man, Persona, if he let go of something, of something, and that's the thing that I really did. You get that too? Oh, absolutely!
1: Especially in the very end, the very end, which this is probably the closest thing I'm going to give to a spoiler. the The very end, the last line of the book, I thought was so poetic because you see, dead man flying off, and he, Sarah Sarah Vaughn uses the line, "A dead man who, when he hears a cry for help." does not hesitate to answer the call.
0: It felt very much like Gary Oldman from a dark night. The, yes. the last page that yeah. narration. I love and, it.
1: And it, in a way it's saying that dead man is stuck here because he, he has this constant drive that he has something to do. He doesn't know what it is. He's he, just like what you said, he's trapped here.
0: Because, because he can't let go of that's something. That's the idea they're going with. The idea is he doesn't even know what he's supposed he's, to let go. He's just, he just waits for, to hear
1: the cry for help yes. and then
0: goes to help. Dude, it's so powerful because, Dave, that's why I, I love what they did with that. I'm glad you caught that because it's it's sad as hell, yes. It's sad as hell. But that's why you had the whole Adelia aspect of this story pretty much voicing and telling you what's going on with Deadman. If you know what to look for, it as I said at the top of the show, it's about dead man. It's about dead man, And where they have that, that moment, I want to say during Chapter 4 or Chapter 5, where they say that Adelia is unable to even recall certain aspects. Like, that's a classic ghost thing. Yes. They're trapped in a moment. They're not sure sometimes that they're even dead. They relive certain aspects. Well, they definitely brought that idea to the forefront with intent and purpose because Adelia like a lot of ghost stories is unable to recall how she died. If she's even alive or dead, there's parts of her life that she doesn't even remember. She barely remembers her own name. I believe she said at one point they're pushing, they are pushing this idea because they're alluding to the fact that dead man himself doesn't quite recall things either.
1: Yeah. Because time, the thing I love also the way she plays around where
0: spot on, I know what you're going to say
1: is she, she plays around with the notion that for ghosts, time is not a non-factor.
0: It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. There's, which is part of the insanity.
1: Yes. And that's what I loved about when they played around with that, with the story of Adelia and, and Boston. And then Boston's like, Kind of sit looking at it daily and going, you know, what? I kind of, I, I, I understand where you're coming from, because it's almost like he's
0: afraid to admit that he's he afraid to admit it. Is he doesn't even remember certain things?
1: Because to Boston Brand, the for people who know the character, Boston Brand was selected by by Kushnu. Uh, I want to say, did I say that right, Kushnu?
0: Krishna I think. Kushna, it's an Indian guy, yeah.
1: right? He was selected by a god. To be their avatar, so that they can be the quote-unquote quote, spirit of vengeance for them. Yeah, that is why he was chosen. So, to Boston, if you think about it, that's his only motivation. But he doesn't—he doesn't really understand anything else. He doesn't know. Like, okay, you mean to tell me that basically, uh,
0: Ramakushna,
1: Ramakushna,
0: yeah, Rama,
1: and he only answers when needed. Like if someone calls the dead man shows up and it's one of those things that I think gets lost in a lot of superhero storytelling because people take for granted, Hey, it's Superman. He can sl- He can fly around the world in a speeding Uh-oh. bullet. He can teleport magically. Uh-oh. And <laughs> with dead man, I like the fact that they play around with the fact that his cycle is just never ending. He he will constantly answer someone's call for help. Yeah. That is a good thing. But when you actually think about it, especially in regards to the story, it's just like what you said. It's sad. Yeah. Well,
0: that and yes. And it would feel weird if they did a story like this and dead man is saying it himself. Oh, I'm lonely and I'm I'm trapped and I don't remember things. So they build a story like this to vocalize what dead man's possibly going through and also filling in the gaps explaining certain things but also keeping the mystique the the factor that makes dead man such an interesting character we I don't think we want the light to be shown on on his entire story and to understand why he can't just die yes you know other than the fact that because I do believe it's way more than just simply Ramakushna so They're playing with this idea that he also has to let go. And if he were to realize that, perhaps he could rest as well. rest in peace. And as you had mentioned, you had mentioned time. And that's definitely a big part and a, a very big part of this story. Because part of human existence is how we perceive time. Our minds assimilate the passing of events in a linear fashion, right? Yes. However, based on... Various accepted theories, time is relative. The rate at which time passes depends on your frame of reference. Without a frame of reference, you lose track of your own existence. Yes. And in the Mansion of Love, this thought is connected to losing one's identity. So the lines of dialogue that, that emphasize this, Dave, but I do have some proof here. First line of dialogue it feels like I've been dead forever. And it feels like no time has passed at all. Now, this is a great way to not only underscore the the crippling effect of living in the past, but also the aspect of not letting go. Yes. Also, it has a, a way to better understand dead man's existential existence. With that one line of dialogue, all those things become clear. The second line of dialogue that has more to do with our identity and how the crippling effects of being stuck in the past prevents us from seeing the persons we are in the present is this line here, a faint remembrance of a dead man who is rarely seen or heard or recognized for himself, who questions his existence, but not his purpose. I mean, that's a powerful line.
1: Yeah, that is a that is. I mean, I got chills. That, that is, is a good. Heck, heck of a writing
0: talent that Vaughn has. Yeah, where she can actually weave the use of her words. It, not only is it flowery, meaning poetic, but it actually means something. Many times when people try to write flowery, that's all it is. It's poetic and it really doesn't mean anything and then they can't explain it. Well, it's abstract and an artist doesn't explain himself. The truth is you don't fucking know what you wrote. You just put a bunch of words together that sounded nice. This is all of that, but also has extreme purpose on so many different levels. I need Sarah Vaughn to write more Dead Man. Oh, absolutely. I would love her to tackle
1: like an anthology of dead man until like tales of dead man going through unquote helping people. Yeah. And <laughs> tying it all about like her theme of not being able to let go would be an absolute amazing story. When the thing I wrote down on my notes that this might be a little, a lot of people who are listening to us and are big comic book fans might think I'm overblowing Sarah Vaughn's talent by comparing her to this particular title. But honestly, the way she uses dead man and the ability to actually give us an insight into dead Man's psyche about what does it mean to be dead? What does it mean to deal with the afterlife? What does it mean to actually be the dead man is very similar to how I saw all-star Superman. When All-Star Superman, which is a, one of the greatest Superman stories ever told, was able to tell a story that basically showed the perspective of Superman and let the audience understand what does it mean to be Superman. This is what Sarah Vaughn is toying with with Dead Man. Mm-hmm. This is her All-Star Superman. And I feel that basically she should be able to be... DC should give her a blank check to be given a dead man title give her a dead man title and tell her have
0: fun at it. go go for it she would knock it out the park i think she would i, I mean really she do she's also a progressive you can tell by some of the things that she had included in her in her issue
1: but you know what was but genius she, it never took away from the
0: story it didn't distract it did not distract That's the problem nowadays with a lot of i feel like we're in an era of people oh, see in years past because art, first off art has always been used to push change, yes. right? That's well, nothing no, new. And, and and when people bitch and complain about those types of things, it's kind of silly. So when I bring things like this up, I'm looking at it from a different perspective, meaning in years past, we would have artists who wanted to share their feelings on something. They wanted to put together a bit of social commentary in today's environment. We have political activists trying to masquerade as artists. And that's yes. why we have a lot of really, and I don't use this word often because I just hate it. And it's overused. But it's the reason why we get a lot of woke garbage mm-hmm. where it's just a bunch of agenda, 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 and not anything meaningful. There's nothing meaningful being said. It's just, Oh, I get it. You're tr- it's Tom Taylor yes. you know, like in his new Superman title, which oh, is, yeah. Which there is no substance to it. It's just an agenda. Yeah. So with something like this, there's, there's a non-binary woman. So I just fucked up. But non, <laughs> that, is that an oxymoron? Nine, non-binary <laughs> person. Is a non-binary person. And the way they do is really interesting because one of my biggest pet peeves, and I've said this before, when the writer creates this, let's say within the story world, The diegesis, if you will. A lot of writers go with the assumption that, you know what? There is an assumption in the world that everyone just knows your pronouns. Yes. And that's fucking stupid. Especially when you're dealing with characters like John Constantine or even Dead Man. If there's someone walking around. And you've never met them before. And you immediately say, oh, hey, go, go talk to them over there. How do they know what their pronoun is? Exactly. <laughs> they don't. And I hate when writers do that. And they're trying to prove a point that is no different than a he, she. Which, yes, theoretically, it isn't. But also, how do you assume that they are they and them? We can assume he and her <laughs> And him and her based on appearance for the most part, right? Yeah. With them and they, how, how? So when writers just take that assumptive approach with their characters it's fucking stupid it's and stupid. it's weak as hell. Well, and the
1: thing I really liked about it, it didn't become a big thing. And I love the, the, the banter between Bernice and, and Boston, because Boston is...
0: Boston said, called Sam. Sam's the non-binary. Yes. Boston Bran referred to Sam as her. Her. And the other character, Bernice, corrected him and said, actually, they go by they. they. And that was it. And that was it. I'm like, okay, thank you. Because and- wh- how
1: would Dead Man know this? And yeah, and Boston Boston <laughs> doesn't make a big deal about it, which is amazing because yeah. naturally a person would be, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm okay with that. You <laughs> and, know that that works, and it worked. I'll also say there's definitely some very strong feminist notes, and I've kind of held back saying that because I don't want any comic book readers out there kind of groan and say, "Oh, that's oh, that's the last fucking thing I want to read." I mean, feminism has gotten a bad rap of late. It's been um, yeah. it's been thrown into the agenda, woke bullshit, but feminism doesn't always. It isn't always what people think it is. Yeah. But there are definitely strong characters in this comic that are women. Mm -hmm. The women are pretty much front and center, but dead man. But the entire thing is about dead man
1: is about dead man. But also like the the thing that I really did enjoy was like Bernice herself is a strong, well-written. Don't say it. Female. I'll say female lead. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I hate that. But like the thing is, is like it never became part of the story. No. It's you just, notice? It's that, just
0: a thing. Yeah. I am reading it as a feminist piece. As it, a
1: feminist piece. But like when you read it by itself, Bernice and and Boston are just two partners in this story, and it's almost like sex has gender has no.
0: No issue with it. Well, there's no does, but it, you're right. But there, it is a love story. It is a love story. I would say between the non-binary and the woman, mm-hmm. and then also Boston Brand and the ghost. But there's definitely about, something there as well.
1: And and what helps it is the theme that she chose. She chose to go with is the theme of not being able to let go.
0: And also the genre, gothic horror, yes. gothic romance. All of it works
1: because if you think about it, I mean, like a typical love story. Yeah, there is an element of ha- having to let go or having to accept, having to accept something. Those are elements in any typical love story. And the way that she tackled it, because I'm being really, I'm trying to be really careful, not giving away too many spoilers. Yeah. I thought it was actually really clever. It was. And I I can see your point that basically a lot uh, at first I was thinking the same thing as I was getting into, I think it was issue two where I was like, okay, is this going to be kind of like a feminist piece or is this going to be like a women, women, Women are the, 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 this this
0: isn't women rule and boys drool and and they're all rapists. Like that's not what I'm talking about when I say feminism, that isn't feminism. That's That's bullshit. That's bullshit. But
1: like after the second issue, I began to realize, no, Sarah, Sarah is actually taking this story and kind of saying, I can write a love story that doesn't have to focus on gender. Yeah. And that, that in itself, I applaud. I'm like going. Yes, we need more. Well done.
0: If the industry is set on more progressive inclusion, this is how you do it.
1: Yes, this is in comparison. Like you brought up the dreaded name that has been kind of like the Voldemort of why do we got to
0: bring him up every show? That I hate that I did it. You know, don't even use his name, please.
1: But the fact that when you look when you look at the parallel of two writers (laughs) tackling poke out the same subject matter. TT, <laughs> <laughs> TT, TT, basically for him, he's like, Oh, look at me. Pat, pat me on the shoulder. I'm doing such a good I'm job, a good right? Boy. I'm, a good boy. I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy. And I'm looking, look, I'm going to take this character and I'm going to force him in this box, force him into the box. Well, here, Sarah's like, it's going, just no, more naturalistic. I'm going to, I'm going to make it, Part of my story
0: it just is it just just is is. yeah
1: never once did i uh, never once did sarah force characters into boxes she let the characters dictate her story
0: there you go (laughs) yeah that's a good way of saying that is
1: the difference between tt and sarah vaughn is like tt will force he'll destroy his story because he wants to prove an agenda sarah's like going no because he's not sincere yeah and that's the thing. Sarah's sincere about this story. He's a twat whistle.
0: <laughs> I don't know why. I fucking hate him. <laughs> I fucking hate him.
1: One day he's going to like listen to us like, basically go, oh.
0: <laughs> David, I think we need to, it needs to become a game, like a drinking game. Like every time we mention <laughs> his name.
1: His name. I think the, our the listeners, listeners got to
0: take two or three shots.
1: I think the listeners would be drunk by the time the end, <laughs> end of a show.
0: Yeah. And maybe we should also drink every time we mention his name. So perhaps we'll learn our lesson and try to do a show that we, a, <laughs> my, just forget my, it. Just, my,
1: my, my blood pressure. I'm trying to work and yeah. keep my blood pressure low. Every time we bring him up, my blood pressure starts boiling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave. So for the most part, The general critical reception has been favorable for Dead Man, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love. It has an average of about 8.2. Issue one was 8.5. Issue two was graded as an 8.1. And issue three was an 8.3. Yes. And this is, of course, coming from the go-to rating system for comic books. And that's Comic Book Roundup. I I would actually, you know what? Let me just give you my RMD score, Dave. I would I would give this a 90%. <laughs> I would give it a 90%. It's definitely, it's definitely higher than an 8.5, which I think if we were to translate that over, that would be an 85% for us. It's definitely above that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh the funny part is I am exactly the same score as you, which shows okay. how how good this title is, is when me and you actually agree.
0: Yeah. And, and you're not, when there's
1: no variance, trying to just
0: blow it for blow sake, for blow
1: sake. <laughs> this is legitimately a really excellent comic that people should pick up because yeah. it is an example of really great elements that me and you have been hearkening for And you. I will
0: say definitely get the trade paperback too. Right, Dave, not don't oh, do yeah. digital with this because you got to have your hands on that's something we didn't talk about. The colors. Oh, my God. The, yeah, the texture. Art. It's so good. It's one of those comics you need to have. Absolutely.
1: Even even with, I put here my favorite cover out of the three-issue series was the third cover. And the art on the third cover is just gorgeous because it hooks onto the theme of the entire story. Once you actually start understanding it, and you look at that, that, uh, that, that cover with Dead Man cradling the ghost of Adele and just standing there staring at the audience. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you have the, 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 the gothic castle in the background and you have Bernice, uh, Bernice front and center and kind of like the gigantic overwatching element. Yeah. That is like a classic gothic
0: book cover yeah you, you gotta have a copy it, it right now it's on Amazon for $7 and 23 cents it's on worth sale it. it's worth it. I purchased it uh, several years back it was like $19 so it dropped I believe Amazon is running some deals right now so the paperback the physical copy you can get for $7 and 23 cents currently on Amazon I will drop a link on our site just so that people can find it fairly easy yeah, there there are some images in here, Dave. I'm I'm not really I've been kind of against getting nerd tattoos. You know, like geek eccentric tattoos, just because that seems like to be the thing now. Everyone gets, you know, geek tattoos, and they're great. I mean, one of our hosts on the network, his entire arm his two arms sleeves of geek shit. Yeah. And it looks great. Just for me, it's not my thing. But there is some imagery in this comic that I would not mind having on my body.
1: Oh, yeah. And that that comes down to I'm glad we had uh, have at least a little time to actually talk about him. Is Lan Medina? Yeah, because Lan Medina, you know, my brother from uh, from the Philippines. Oh, he's is, a, he a, is
0: he a Filipino? Yeah, gentleman. he's a Filipino comic book artist. He does amazing work. I would. I, I don't think I've seen any of his other work, but judging based on Mansion of Love, fucking solid.
1: Well, Lan Medina actually did like some of the. If you're familiar with uh Fables, mm-hmm. which started in Vertigo and everything, yeah, he worked on Fables. Oh, okay. And he's he does amazing art. He also one of my favorite uh Marvel series that he did was Punisher Max. Oh, okay. No, I I, I am familiar with his work then. And Land Medina is he hit it off the park. The way he actually used Boston Brand and some of the some of the panels I loved was how he played around with the notion that Boston's a ghost. So technically in certain points, we shouldn't be actually able to see Boston's real form. So all of a sudden he'll play around with shadows and you'll only see like the outline of Boston. And I'm like going, that's an artist who's understanding the character that he's
0: drawing. Yeah. There is an image. I, I, forget what page is on, but it's where the villain makes their appearance for the first time. And you have that merging of the ghost dead man and the bad, whatever. Oh yeah. 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 And they create this circular, almost like a ring.
1: Yes. Where they show,
0: they show the, the time passing. I want that as a tattoo. That image is so cool. It is. And it says so much very powerful imagery.
1: One of my, one of my favorite ones that I thought he caught really well was actually as funny as it sounds, didn't even have the quote unquote ghost characters in it. One of my favorite panels he, he did was the, the, the splash page of Bernice looking at the castle. And it's like the, all you see is her silhouette. Yeah. I know you're talking about and It's like just this perfect Gothic image of a woman staring at this foreboding castle surrounded nothing but uh, surrounded by like forest. I'm like going, he understands what Gothic uh, Gothic imagery.
0: This is this is how you show it. I wonder what the sales were on this. I wish there was a place I could go to
1: from what I understand. This is the, this is the reason why I want our audience to go out there and support this book is from what I understand. This did not sell well. That's a shame. God damn Because it. people people didn't pick it up, people were looking at it, weren't were, the interest in it wasn't there. This is why we can't have nice things, exactly. And maybe if they put Batman as the love interest, it would have sold. You know, you want to know a funny story? When I was they're actually, doing
0: a spinoff called Dead Man <laughs> Dark Night, Dark Night of <laughs> Forbidden Love. No,
1: but like when I when I went to a comic <laughs> book shop to actually try to see physical copies of this. The comic shop owner actually told me, yeah, he had a bunch of them. And he said that he read the book and he loved it. And he kept telling people, pick it up, pick it up. You guys got to pick it up. It's a good story. Everyone constantly would say, Oh, it's not Batman though. Who's what's dead man. And it's like dead man's part of the DC
0: universe. Hey, that's when you, I want to be Iago from Aladdin. <laughs> you know, when Iago like takes the crackers and shoves them down <laughs> the Sultan's throat, throat. If some asshole said, "Who's dead man?" I'd take the pages and just shove them down his fucking <laughs> That's fucking dead man, you motherfucker. <laughs> just, I'm picturing you now, just or I just put the nowhere. page up. I put the page up. and be like, <laughs> and punch right through the page. <laughs> what an asshole! Yeah. All right, we got to wrap this show, David, on that terrible, violent note. <laughs> it's okay. It's needed. <laughs> All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to go to our Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com slash digital, you can pledge a dollar. That's it. A dollar a month or $10 for the year. And you will gain access to our oblivion bar podcast, which is basically a mini version of this show. And we typically get into things that we don't have time to get into on our regular show. So if you want to help support us and keep us alive, we did cut back on a couple of our shows this year due to network cutbacks and we do want to bring them back I enjoy doing the show but also financial reasons you know so please help us we need patreon subscribers thank you David thank you
1: <laughs> I picture you
0: like you want to
1: eat eat the paper
0: cheers wankers
1: see you never